Welcome to Mentioned in Dispatches, the podcast from the Western Front Association, with me, Dr Tom Thorpe. The WFA is the UK's largest Great War History Society. We are dedicated to furthering understanding of the Great War and have around 6,000 members worldwide. For more information, visit our website at westernfrontassociation.com. It is the 14th of November 2022 and this is episode 278. On today's Dispatches podcast, I talk to author Andrew Wood about his recent book, Hannam, that looks at the lives of three men who served in the Kensington Battalion during the Great War. Andrew spoke to me from his home in Bristol. Andrew, welcome to the Dispatches podcast. Could you start by telling us about yourself and how you became interested in the Great War? Well, first of all, thanks for having me, Tom. It's a real pleasure to be here. Uh, it, it all starts with my father, really. So he, my father was a, he was a soldier his entire life, for 22 years in the army, and he left the army and became a, a history teacher. And it's something that he's always had uh, through his father as well, a, a passion for history. And he's become now a military historian himself and a tour guide. So it is through my dad that I became interested in uh in history itself, and specifically the, the First and Second World War, which are his areas of expertise. So I have my father and my grandfather to thank for my my interest in the First World War, most certainly. So you're, you've written a book called Hannam. Now tell us, what's that all about? So Hannam is the, it's a historical novel, but it's based entirely on the true story of three brothers who fought in the First World War and their families. Like I said, my father being the military historian, battlefield tour guide, he is, he he heard of an auction at at Dukes' auction house in Dorchester, where they were selling um, a tobacco tin that had stopped the bullet of, uh, stopped a bullet and saved the life of a young man during the First World War. Now he clearly was interested in this lot, something very unique. These, these sorts of things with this provenance don't come around that often. And he bought it to, uh, to in order to take it on his battlefield tours and tell the story of this particular individual um, in the areas where, where this, this tobacco tin saved his life. Um, when he bought the lot home, it turned out to be this amazing box of letters, pictures, documents, postcards, diaries, newspaper cuttings of three brothers who fought in the same battalion, the 1st 13th Kensington Battalion, and each of them had a totally different uh, experience of the First World War. Um, and I remember looking at it thinking, I said, Dad, this this needs to be a novel. This is incredible. You know, you would expand the readership of it if you if you made it a novel. Um, and he said, well, you've always wanted to be a writer, so go for it. And I finished my time in the regular army myself, and that's what I did. I wrote the I wrote the book um, as close to factually correct as I can, but I've, I've written it in a in the form of a novel um, for the reason of of just making their story that much more um, you know to to get a wider readership, I think, and to, not just for, for military historians, but for those that uh, that love stories of family struggle during during what were incredibly difficult times. So give us a bit of background on the Hannam brothers and their wider family. So the Hannams are, it's a, it's a very rare name, as, as we've already discussed, but it's, they are um, the offspring of, of 
Gertrude Hannum, Hannum and the Reverend Abdeel Hannum. And uh, the Reverend Abdeel Hannum was the, uh, the Reverend of All Saints Church in Graveney until his death in October 1908. So between them, they had they had five children. They had a, a sixth that uh, that didn't survive um, childbirth, sadly. But they had Kathleen Muriel Hannum, and then they had Stuart Aubrey Hannum, Eric Abdeel Hannum, uh, Stella Blanche Hannum, and then Basil Alderman Hannum. So they had five children, all born in Graveney in Kent. And it wasn't until uh, the death of uh, the Reverend Abdul Hannam in 1908 that they they moved then to to London, and that's where we really pick up the story of the of the Hannam family. When the you know the, in the years prior to, or in a couple of years prior to the outbreak of the First World War, and then of course the the time during the First World War. So Evangeline herself, um, the, the the matriarch of the Hannam family, was born in Inverness in Scotland, and it's I've tracked her story down to the meeting of of her and and abdil hannam uh, to uh a play, ely in cambridgeshire where i think she was working as a as a nanny or, or some sort of home help and uh, she met the she met abdil hannam there and they moved to um to graveney and that's where they started their family and have you become interested in this story what was it that attracted you to, to attracted you to actually sort of use this family history as a as a fictional account of the great war well it first there's two reasons the first one is because of the the different experiences that the brothers had during the first world war so without ruining it for, for anybody that wants to read the novel they are their experiences are entirely unique and some of that involves a lot of time um at home you know, there's there's one who survives the, survives the war and fights all the way through pretty much and then there's then there's others that, that do not and aren't so lucky and it's just it it's their their story covers what i think all aspects of the first world war and interestingly as well that kathleen is an incredible character and i've seen many read many books and seen many films and, and that sort of thing about mothers and daughters and husbands but rarely do we really delve into the sibling relationship during during the, the first world war and kathleen is a is a woman way ahead of her time she's a she's an actress she's a she's a dancer she's 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 bohemian i think you would say back in those days she's 27 and unmarried at the beginning of the war which is which is quite unlike women of the time um and she just struck me as a brilliant character to uh, to to weave all of the, the brothers' stories together, uh, and you know, between, so between the, the the different experiences of the war and then this this remarkable fourth character, um, I just thought it was just too too perfect a, a story to to not make into into a novel form. And again, she, she plays an important role in in the novel because she's that that extra agency. It's somebody for us for others to relate to if you're not a military historian or a soldier or an ex-soldier or whatever. So, um, she added some a, a different value, a different um, aspect to it that I really enjoyed. So what sources did you have when you, when you purchased this collection at auction in, in Dorchester? Well, so my, my best source was my live-in historian in my, in my father. So he was very much my go-to source for, for first world war, um, uh, for information on the First World War, and he was—he and I sat down together and went through the lot in, in detail. I catalogued everything. Um, you know, we tried to work out the story uh, for ourselves, and then once I'd 
I've roughly worked out um, where they were, what they were doing, um, who they were, who they were with. You know, learned about the, the battles that they were fighting. It was then that I really sort of delved into the what turned out to be close to five months of of research about them as individuals, and through, and I, I did that by going on the, uh, the ancestry.com things that you know we're finding information about family members past I, I did everything I could to find out about the Hannams in that respect um, I read books about the Kensingtons to, to, in, so that uh, um, their I knew their struggle I knew where they were I you know and in some situations that gave me uh, some um, ammunition for for storylines for plot twists it also gave me some of the characters that are in the novel. So it is a novel, um, but everything that happens to the boys happens to the boys. I can't stress that enough that I haven't gone away from the the reality in any way in that respect. And I've also um, put in some of the real people that they were fighting alongside. And, and that I got that through the record, the Kensington records, through, through some books written by um, survive, Kensington survivors of the, the First World War. Um, it's there are fictional characters that help the narrative move and, and shape that shape it. It's people who I can and adapt and put into situations that might not have been the real, but the but the real crux of it is the story of the Kensingtons and their their plight in the First World War. Equally, there's some other there's some other strange things. You know, for example, there's one instance where Kathleen has to uh, she goes and visits a dentist, and I knew nothing about dentistry during the First World War. And it turns out that it's really quite horrific. So, uh, you know, dentistry in 1915 is not something I would uh, volunteer myself to go and help. But she was in some sort of some serious pain, so she needed to go and see them. So there's so many um, different uh, places I need to go. I ended up learning quite a lot about the the art scene you know, during the First World War. People like George Graves, who was starring in reviews and in, in sort of London show houses. I learned a great deal about. Um, about that world, you know, that fresh, new, exciting world that was sort of coming over from America, and you know, it was it's really quite interesting seeing how uh, how they all fit into that uh, individually. You know, their mother too, although a strong Scottish woman from Inverness, no doubt, was was also quite into the the fresh new art scene, which which helped shape her character a great deal. You've touched on some of the main characters already, but how did you get into their sort of, I suppose, heads of an Edwardian person who lived a hundred years ago whose social values and sort of views on race empire and um gender may be completely different from ours today it, it's it's very it's it's hard to do that uh, i agree but there's there's so much you can get from their diaries we're so lucky that there's so much of written words we have them and with the hannams one, one thing that really stood out for me is how much they truly love each other and they they the way that they speak to each other the way that they write to each other in these letters the way that they write their diaries and things they, you really get a sense of what they were like as people now interestingly they weren't as religious as you might have thought they were being the offspring of a reverend but but they but they did they did really come across sincere uh, and the way that they speak about each other is, is really quite lovely. Uh, you can also get a real gauge of somebody's character from the way that they write and the way that you see them in photographs. Now, um, for us, the idea of taking a photograph is something that we can do very quickly. You know, we can, if you and I are together, we can take hundreds of photographs, then choose the best one. And that's the one that we use to, to, to celebrate that moment or to to post on Instagram or whatever it is we're going to do with it. But 
you know, in 1914, 15, 16, whatever, it wasn't the case. Uh, taking a photograph was an event that you had to prep for and be ready for. And therefore, if somebody, you know, and I use Eric in this example, he would always have his hands in his pocket or his hat at a jaunty angle, which has to be planned or says so much about his character too. So you're able to see the cheekiness in them or the, you know, they're, they're quite, if they're quite serious, it comes across in their writing. If they're quite jovial, they use a lot of nicknames and a lot of slang. And so, so you can judge a, a lot by their writing and, as I said, by how they come across in, in pictures. Um, and that's really the way that uh, I delved into their characters. And interestingly, there are, whilst there's no family left, no blood, flat, no blood relatives of the Hannams left, there are there is, a, there is a man called Patrick Armitage, who is the gentleman who sold this lot at auction, and he knew some of them. Uh, and when he read the first draft, he said, well, you've, you've got them really, you've got them bang on, which was, for me as a writer, particularly writing a novel, um, incredibly important. And that's, that said to me, I've done the research thoroughly enough in order to portray them in the right way. Now, let's turn to the unit in which the three brothers served. I must declare an interest that my grandfather serves in the same unit, hence why I'm so interested in this. But tell us about the 1st Battalion of the 13th London Regiment, or Kensingtons, as they are known. Well, these, the Kensingtons were, a, were a, a classic example of a territorial battalion at the time. So they were a real mix of people. Now, they're quite a middle-class mix of people, given that uh, the Kensingtons are where they are in, in London. And in fact, Stuart Hannam was uh, tra- himself trained to be a solicitor. So, you know, you've, and he is an enlisted man and, you know, has his time as a corporal and, and so forth. So there's a, it's, it's a, real, a real mixed bag of individuals, which is what made the Territorials such an interesting prospect and what made them such a unique regiment. Uh, interestingly, the, the Kensingtons have Charles Dickens's grandson was a Kensington, uh, and he sadly he sadly killed in the Battle of the Somme. But there are a number of really interesting characters in the Kensingtons. But what I found most striking about them is that is that, and I'm sure this is the case with um, many other territorial territorial battalions, because of the way that they're structured and because of how they recruit and because of um, their seemingly lesser status within the army of the time particularly the fact that they were in the part of the BEF I mean these guys were in France on the 4th 4th of November 1914 so you know they qualify for a Mons star which not many um, uh, territorial battalions did they're they're very much at the forefront of things the pride they have in their battalion is just comes across in every single thing that they do and it comes across in the newspaper articles about them. It comes across in the, their diary extracts. There's a really interesting narrative of, you know, and Eric and both Stuart and Eric talk about this in their diaries, is that they, you know, they talk about, and the regulars showed up and they were impressed with the way that we looked and all this sort of stuff. So there's, there's something really quite wonderful about the, the how proud they are of their territorial status. Um, and I just... Uh, you know, I'm a reservist myself now, so I can really relate to to that aspect of of, of army life, and and I I dare say it was no different then as to it is now. To it is now. So we, as a reservist, you know, you, your your aim and yeah, part of your aim is to do the best job you can, and if you can sometimes do that better than a regular, you know, and that's that's wonderful. And they they performed brilliantly, the Kensingtons. 
to the to the point where at the Battle of Neuf Chapelle they were given the left flank to uh, to to take and to to hold. Uh, and the the commander at the time, I, I, his name escapes me, but he says, "I know the Kensingtons will do me proud." And for a territorial battalion to go from relative obscurity in the regular army to being given a job like that so early on in the war must have been something they can be seriously proud of. And that's they're just, they're just a a really good bunch of of people, as far as I can tell. Now, without uh, giving the plot away, uh, what is is what happens to the brothers during uh, the Great War? Well, um, a great deal. I will tell you that um, there are name there are names of them on memorials um, in the UK and abroad. The, you know, not all of them survive, um, and well, each and every single one of them has. Uh, is wounded in some way, shape or form. Uh, one of them fights the entire war through. Pretty much every significant engagement the British Army was was in on the Western Front. Uh, it, they are in the thick of it from the very beginning. And all of them, every single one of them, suffered horribly, as everybody else did, with, with trench foot and the conditions of that first winter of 1914, which the British Army were just simply not ready for in any way, shape or form. So... Every single, or the, all three of them, are swept up in this wave of patriotism. Um, two of them, um, Stuart, the eldest of the brothers, and Basil, the youngest, were territorials before the war. And at the outbreak of war, um, Eric joins the same battalion. So, um, which interestingly says says a great deal about him as a, as, an, as a character as well. You know, so he's. He's not prepared to be a reservist or a territory before the war, but as soon as it sounds like it's going to be fun, then he's in and he can't get enough of it. So they're all part of that horrible winter um, and into the into the early years of 1915, which nobody knew at all what was going to happen. So to say their experience of the war between the three of them was varied would be would be somewhat of an understatement in truth. And there's that the, one of them has a real struggle in he's he's. You know, he has an invisible wound to people in the it back home, and that that can be an incredible struggle as well. The fact that you know you're there's a war going on, and you have you you have to wear a badge to stop people um, calling you a coward out in the street, and that and that's something that again is not is is not really um, in many fictional tales that I've come across. And my final question is, where can people get the book from? So www.hanhamstory.com www.hanhamstory.com and that will link that link in there will link you to the uh, to an Amazon page where you can buy a, a paperback or a Kindle version and it will link you to an audible page and there's an audiobook um, done by uh, a Hanham audiobook to read by the, the chocolate voice of of Mark Lucen who uh, really does it justice so uh, the www.hanhamstory.com to, to a copy of the book in whichever form you Andrew thank you very much for your time my pleasure thank you very much indeed You have been listening to the Mentioned in Dispatches podcast from the Western Front Association with me, Tom Thorpe. Thank you for all my guests for appearing on this edition. The theme music for this podcast was George Butterworth's The Banks of Green Willow. It was performed by the BBC National Orchestra of Wales, conducted by Chris Russman. 
and produced by Biz Records. This recording is part of a collection of orchestral works by Butterworth performed by the BBC National Orchestra of Wales and supported by the Western Front Association. This is available from all good record stores under the record code BIS2195. Until next time. <laughs>